Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. The Academy podcast is one offering from a rich well of content, sprung from deep relationship building with wisdom guides, pilgrim participants, and wholehearted leaders we've had the honor of knowing throughout the past 36 years. Thank you to all of those who've joined us on the journey. And if you're new with us today, welcome. We're glad you're here. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. This month's podcast features teaching from Jane Venard from Two-Year Academy 38 in Nebraska, when she offered insight, invitation, and reflection into the important topic of spirituality and embodiment. Jane is a semi-retired spiritual director and retreat leader. Ordained to a special ministry of teaching and spiritual direction in the United Church of Christ, she is a nationally respected figure and author of numerous articles and five books, including her most recent, A Praying Congregation, The Art of Teaching Spiritual Practice. The John Wesley Iliff Warren Senior Adjunct Lecturer in Spirituality at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, Colorado, Jane offers a rare blend of being able to see clearly the similarities and differences in traditional perspectives and leads people through examination of a variety of spiritual lenses. Having served as Academy faculty for many years now, Jane is a graduate of Wellesley College, Stanford University, and the San Francisco Theological Seminary. Offering listeners questions about how and when and where we honor, pay attention, and care for our bodies, Jane's teaching is a master class in spiritual direction, an invitation for all of us to pause and really examine the love we show these bodies of ours, the only ones we've got. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. So today we will be talking about our bodies, and if you haven't noticed, the body has been very present for the last two days. It's been present uh, very much in Father John's presentations. It's been very present here. It's been present outside. It's been present in exercise. And it's been beautifully present at noonday prayer. If you haven't noticed those beautiful, sensual words from the Song of Songs, listen up. Listen up. And so as we start this, I want to warn and just say um, that when we start talking about the body, even though we use it and we refer to it and we read about it, when we first start talking about it in a group, people get very anxious. There's an anxiety involved because whatever body we have, the culture says it's wrong. And so we have to deal with that because we are the beloved of God. We are made in the image of God. And so what we're going to be talking about today is really countercultural. 
to live fully in the bodies we have. Now this was pointed out to me at one time um, by a young pastor in a five-day academy who came up to me in the parking lot before I'd even gotten into the retreat house. And he came up to me clutching this book. This is a large print book, by the way. Clutching this book and said, are you going to make me dance? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not going to make you dance. Uh, the interesting thing about that story is that I use it a lot when I talk about the body. And about 10 years later, in a two-year academy, I was telling that story. And one of the men in the back said, that was me. <laughs> And then he said, I don't dance, Jane, but I've gotten my arms above my shoulders. <laughs> so, so that's really what we're talking about. And since today is the day on humility, I want to speak just briefly about, about humility in relationship to our bodies. Most of us have been humiliated at some time in our lives about our bodies, the way we looked, the way we couldn't play ball, the way we dressed, the way we danced, the way we didn't dance, when we were the last person chosen for the soccer team, we have been humiliated. And it's important to remember that humiliation does not create humble people. <laughs> I think there's sometimes, and there is that sense which if I humiliate you enough, you will become humble. Wrong. Wrong. Because humiliation is a real curse for us. And being treated kindly is a blessing. And what I've found is that very often, even if the people out there aren't humiliating us, we're doing it to ourselves. And so a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is reclaiming tenderly the love for our bodies. Whatever shape they're in, whatever age they are, these bodies, as my husband said once early on in our courtship, when I asked him, I said, do you like your body? And he looked at me and he said, well, it's the only one I got. <laughs> And I think maybe that was when I fell in love with him. So uh, it was so wise. It's the only one we have. And so I also want to add another kind of complicated piece about humility is at some uh, gathering, I heard Richard Rohr say, I pray for one humiliation every day to keep me humble. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, I usually trust Richard Rohr, but this one seemed way off, until I realized that what he was saying was his own humiliation, his own embarrassment, may he make a mistake, may he turn the way, turn left when he's supposed to go right, when he forgets to pick somebody up, it's humiliating. That's different than when other people humiliate us. And I think that's what he was saying about humility is that I have to realize how awkward and strange and unknowing and ugly I am in the face of things. It helps make me smaller in relationship to the bigness of God. 
And so as we talk about, and humility, words are all over the place, it's important to remember, as um, one of the writers in Christian Century wrote an article a long time ago, of humility as the lost virtue. And I was working with an Episcopal priest in my spiritual direction practice, and by his own admission, he was quite an arrogant man. Um, and he said, I said to him, well, maybe what you need is to think about humility. And he said, and then I said, do you know anybody who is humble? A model of humility. And he said, Mother Teresa? And I said, no, 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 somebody in your life. And he couldn't think of anybody. Because humility is harder to point to. And so our willingness to be in our own bodies in humiliation, in, in humility, to hold ourselves accountable and to trust our own, our own souls speaking to our bodies. As John said, it's the soul that needs to organize and lead the body. But what I've found is we have to pay attention to our bodies or we won't know where the soul is leading us. So like I said yesterday, so much of our spiritual work is about noticing and paying attention. Sometimes in spiritual direction when somebody's talking about something with a lot of feelings, I will say to her, where do you feel that in your body? And she'll say, I don't know, because we don't notice how connected our body is to our feelings, to our thoughts, and to our souls and spirits. So we have to be able to pay attention to our bodies and begin to treat our bodies as friends, to treat our bodies as friends, not just something that carries our head around. Okay? So... As Father John was saying, and as my book, Praying with Body and Soul, says, is that our bodies and soul are connected. There is not a disconnect, even though our Christian tradition would tell us that was so. Now, when I was listening to a rabbi in one of my um, times in the academy, who my partner was uh, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, and one of the things that he said was that in the Jewish tradition, the body is first and then filled with the spirit. And so if you think about scripturally, made out of clay and breathed into. So in the Jewish tradition, the body is the container and it comes first. In the Christian tradition, somewhere along the line, it came to the fact that our bodies, our spirits came first. Our souls came first, and they were housed in a body. Now, there you have the body and you've got the spirit. But which came first is very important because something got distorted in the Christian heritage, which was ignoring St. Paul's statement that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And what happened at some point was in Christianity, people began to think and believe 
that the bodies were not temples, they were cages, they were prisons, and so much was done to denigrate the body to free the spirit. That's where that distortion comes from. And isn't it interesting in Christianity is the only religion with the incarnation that we're the ones that split those off. And so a lot of what this is for us, I think, today is to, is to honor our bodies and bring that back together and to look at our bodies as temples. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I feel that when we care for our bodies, we're praying and we're in spiritual practice. One of our most important spiritual practices, and the first one in my practice book, is about caring for the body. Because that's, that's it, folks. You're all there in your bodies. We're all here in our bodies. And we've been using them in a variety of ways. And yes, I do believe as John said this morning, that the spirit needs to lead the body. But we have to be attend to the body so it's capable of being led. When you said that this morning, it was like, oh, how does this fit with what I was going to say this afternoon? And that's what it is. How do we attend to the body so that the spirit can lead us? And as we think about that and talking about our friends, our bodies as friends, remember that when we put the body out there in a way to honor it, we're not worshiping it. So again, that difference between honoring and worshiping. Somebody said this morning, is the human person an icon? Yes. And we're not to worship us, others, and their bodies, but we're to honor them because they are they are an icon, and they are an opening and a way and a pathway to God. As we think in terms of honoring our bodies, the image I like to use, as I said, is to treat our body as a friend. And one of the ways that we can treat our bodies as friends is to listen to them. Think of that. If you have a friend who never listens to you, how long are you going to hang around? Not very long. We move away because one of the joys of friendship is that we're listened to. We're listened to. And so we need to listen to our bodies and hear what they have to say. Now, what I've found is in using body and prayer together that it's in kind of different ways. One of the ways we can listen to our bodies is to allow them to teach us something about prayer. And so we're going to do this little exercise. You're not going to have to dance. You don't even have to get up. We're just going to do it sitting where we are. Because I've found that, and we know this, that when I have a feeling, I feel it in my body. It's expressed. If I say to you, I'm not angry with you, (laughs) what are you going to believe? You're not going to believe my words. You're going to believe my body. Now, people who study drama have told me that if I, as an actor on the stage, want want to give the impression of anger, 
and I can't quite get to it. If I put my body in an angry position, I will begin to feel the anger. So it has to do with a lot of things in interpersonal. Uh, For example, when I was teaching elementary school and I had a parent coming in that I knew was going to be difficult, if I sat behind my desk, it would make it much more difficult. If I took the risk and sat down in a child's chair with them, open, I began to feel more open, and they began to feel more welcome. So our bodies can, in fact, teach us, and I think they can teach us how to pray. Now, John was saying this morning that he has a hard time praying with his eyes closed. But in our traditions, if anybody says, let us pray, what do you do? You bow your head, and you close your eyes, and sometimes you do this. It's a very good position to pray in, but it's not the only one. And different forms of prayer are more congruent with some of our physical uh, ways of being. So I think there are ways our bodies can teach us. But try and see what it is that your bodies have to teach you. Now, the other ways we listen to our bodies is to stop and pause around different things. Another place that we need to be very attentive is when we need to rest. (laughs) Some of you are yawning this afternoon. (laughs) Maybe there's a need for rest. So let me tell you a story about about my learning to rest. Um, When I was a little girl and we went hiking in the Sierra Mountains, um, my father uh, would just put on his backpack and he would hike. He would just walk, and it didn't matter what up or down, he just walked. And I, eight years old, I'm running around, jumping over rocks, wanting to tease my sister, hiding, all this stuff, and then I collapse at his feet, and I say, let's stop, I'm so tired. And he said to me, Jane, you need to learn to rest as you walk. Now, I was not happy with that explanation at eight years old, But a number of years ago, I told my spiritual director that. I don't know why that came up, but it was a story clearly had made an impression on me. And she said, your father was a mystic. And I said, no, no, my father was an engineer. (laughs) And then I realized that there is the heart of both and and either or. And I realized that just as a little girl, I either thought I ran or I rested. And what he was saying, it's both and. And then I was saying about my father, he couldn't be both. But in fact, he was. He was. So how do we rest? Sometimes we just need to rest and lie down. But sometimes we need to recognize how we can get rest in movement. How do we rest as we work? How do we rest as we listen to people? How do we combine those two things? Because I think when we separate them, then we don't bring that stillness or that restfulness into our presence. And a lot of our ministry is simply about presence. So how do we show up and be present? So we need to pay attention to that, and then we need to pay attention when we need exercise. Even though your body says, don't get out of the chair, 
maybe that's a thing you need to do. So as we think about treating our bodies as friends, I believe we need to love them unconditionally, just the way it is. Now, that's very hard to do. Because again, in the culture, we wish they were different. If you've made peace with the fact that it's, that's not necessarily so, that my body is fine the way it is, and then you begin to age. And you think, well, it was fine, but it's not fine now. Or some kind of disability emerges, some kind of problem with your body. And as I had the chapter in that book on when the body betrays. And somebody said to me, and I thought this was one, she said, I don't think my body betrayed me. I think I betrayed my body. When she looked back over how she had been treating her body. And so we need to be aware of how often we wish our body were different. Okay? I had a directee who was in her late 70s, and she had serious illness and hospitalization. And she got through it, and she spent much of her time in spiritual direction saying how she wished she had the energy that she had before the surgery. Oh, I just will get back to that. I can't wait to get back to it. I can't wait to have that energy. And one day I said to her, Kit, you're never going to have that energy again. You're two years older, and you've been through surgery. You will never have that again. Well, she was not happy with her spiritual director. But what came about was what she had now is this much energy. She had this much. When she was 30, she had this much. So as our energy is less, we have to become good stewards of our energy and not wish it were different because it's not going to be. None of us are ever going to be 15 again. And aren't you glad? On one level, aren't you glad? So the whole sense of energy in relationship to recovering from an illness, uh, from aging, from whatever sense of how much energy we have, and to not make it wrong, not to apologize for it. It's just, this is all I have, and it calls us to really important discernment. Because if I only have this much, what am I going to do with it? When I had this much, I could just do everything. Now I have to make some choices. Some of you may notice in the mornings that I'm not at morning prayer. I'm not at breakfast. Because I can't do a whole academy day anymore. I have to cut off something. And since I don't like breakfast anyway, that's the obvious place <laughs> to do it. Okay? So I, I, it's a... Stewardship of energy is the term that I'm, I'm using. Another thing that somebody said to me, and I think that this is important, is that when we are, in fact, having physical problems, it's not that they go away or we deny them. That's dangerous. But it's a foreground or a background. So do I choose, with my lower energy and my lack of balance... Do I choose to live with that in the foreground against the rest of my life? Or do I choose the rest of my life in the foreground acknowledging that I'm older and I lack balance? Which way do we go? 
While attending my first five-day academy in January 2014, I recall sitting in the back of one of the plenary sessions observing all of the different people and the bodies that they came in. I was not judging or critiquing. Rather, I was curious, fascinated, entranced, dare I say, in love. Surrounded by such weight, such uniqueness, peculiarity, perseverance, story upon story, some of which I could know and some of which I could never know, was inspiring to me. Hence, the following poem poured from my heart to the page, entitled Bodies. Bodies come with such weight, not only the weight of bone and matter, biology and blood, but the weight of loves lost, hearts broken, worries stirring, minds spinning. The weight of fear that what we want might not be or already isn't or horror of horrors is. We wear this weight like a protective vest draped over us at x-ray time. But instead of protecting us from rays of machines, we hope for protection from hurting, breaking, stirring, spinning again and again. What we do not see is that protection does not come with weight of what is or what is not. Protection comes when we shed the vest in the name of love. Since writing these words and upon hearing Jane's teaching on spirituality and embodiment, I've returned to the spiritual practice of shedding the vest in the name of love time and time again, becoming a mother, being a partner and lover, companioning others as friend. All of these roles invite me into an embodiment of love that is relentless in the best of ways. I wake to the reality of it. I go to sleep with it. I feed it. I make space for it. I honor it because if I don't, Rather, when I don't, my connection with God, self, others, and creation falters, begins to sever, and the relationships I so value and rely upon begin to break. So I place one hand on my heart and the other on my belly at least once a day, and I breathe. I listen. I wait. I love. I remember, as Jane highlights, that this is the only body I've got, holy, dearly loved, begging for me to treat it as friend, as lover, as home, again and again and again. May it ever be so. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Jane Bernard, join us at the next short-term or two-year academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.